1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. What is my calling? I can tell you a lot of things that my calling is not. I am not called to be a plumber. When I walked up to the building this morning, there was water flowing freely like rivers out of one of the buildings. And I'm like, that's probably bad. Just maybe bad. And so I, of course, try to uh, get into said building that I found out later the locks were changed last week by someone and didn't give us keys. So the water kept flowing, flowing freely. I thought about getting a raft and having some fun. Eventually, I figured out, oh, yes, there is a little thingy outside. As you can tell, I'm a plumber. There's a thingy out there to turn the water off. And I turned it off, but, oh, boy, the damage had been done. And we now have an underground pool over at the Bach building next door, the preschool building. So along with pizza and salad and all of the different fun stuff, hopefully you brought your swimsuits because we've got a new pool next door under the building. So anyway, it was all types of fun this morning. A few years ago, I used to take groups down to Mexico. And we would build homes with these high school students that we would take down there. We would build homes for uh, people that didn't have a home. And can you imagine a group of 20 high school students building you a home? <laughs> Enough said. Well, every home starts with a foundation. And we were not using any electronic tools or any power tools at all, so everything was being done by hand. And the hardest part of that job was mixing the cement to lay the foundation. 20 high schoolers mixing foundation cement for someone's home was a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. We had, to get the, we had to get the mixture right. There was no guessing. There was no cutting short. There was no, hey, I think I can do this recipe better than the person that made this recipe up. Because we had people, every year I took people down there, I had people that would say, oh, we can do this in a different way and kind of make it easier. And then they would make this slush that wouldn't end up solidifying and creating the foundation that was needed. And they'd go, Scott, I don't understand. And I say, I totally understand. You didn't follow the stinking directions. One cup of cement for, not one cup, one, one shovel of cement for every four shovels of dirt. You can't change the formula. You got to follow the directions. Well, Welcome to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to picture that thought. But here's the mixture that was going on. You have proud people. Okay, that's what happens when people say, I can figure it out my own way. 
depending on human wisdom, and then adapting the lifestyle of the world. Can you imagine this mixture right now? Proud people, human wisdom, lifestyle of the world, and calling it a church. It was awful. I actually found a belief statement this week of a church. This is an actual belief statement of a church that's out there. The church will remain unnamed, although I do find it hilarious that the first word of their name is waters, considering what was going on today. <laughs> this is their belief statement. Now, mind you, this is the whole thing. This is their whole belief statement. We're trying to allow ourselves to be shaped. We're trying to allow ourselves to be shaped by sacred texts, tradition, liturgy, and our own experiences in new transformational ways. We're also trying to be a community of people who can work together in love for the common good while at the same time holding different opinions on doctrines. You know what that recipe is? It's called disaster. It's called disaster. It's called a mess. And the truth of the matter is, is that was what was going on in this church in Corinth. And in order to help solve their problems, Paul opens his letter by reminding them of their calling in Christ. And he's pointing out these aspects of the calling. And that's what we're going to look at today in these first nine verses. Because overarching in all of this is we are called to be holy. And that's what we see in the first nine verses. Paul attacks the serious problems of a mess of a church, a defilement of a church, but he says nothing about the problems at all. Instead, he takes this approach of reminding the believers of their position in Jesus Christ. It's something Peter did as well in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, as we looked at this morning. Therefore, having girded your minds for action, being sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not being conformed to the former lust which you were in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your conduct, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am am holy. There is a reason we sang today, only a holy God. We need to note here the characteristics of the church that Paul wants us to see. The characteristics because of our holy calling, our calling by Jesus Christ. First, we see in the first three verses that we are set apart by God. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 3. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sophonis, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus called as saints with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, as we see here in verse 2, to the church of God, that word church in the original language is ecclesia. It's a called out people. And each church has two addresses, everyone. We have two addresses as a church, a geographical address at Corinth that we see there, and a spiritual address in Christ Jesus. He's the head of the church. We see here that the church is made up of saints, and that is people who have been sanctified, people who have been set apart by God. Important safety note. A saint is not a dead person. A saint is not a dead person who has been honored by man because of his or her holy life. If you grew up in that background, may I explain to you that if you are set apart by God, if you are sanctified and holy, who is a saint? Everyone that is set apart. Everyone. So Paul is writing to the living saints, people, through faith in Jesus Christ. We have been set apart for God's special enjoyment, for God's special use, calling. You see, every true believer is a saint because every believer has been set apart by God and for God. It reminds me of a story I heard once. There was a Christian photographer who had talked to the commentator, Pastor Warren Wearsby, about a wedding that he was covering, taking the pictures for. The bride and groom came out of the church heading for the limousine. The bride suddenly left her husband and ran to a car that was parked across the street. The motor was running and a man was at the wheel and off they drove, leaving the bridegroom by himself, by the limo, speechless. The driver of the getaway car turned out to be an old boyfriend, an old boyfriend of the bride, a man who boasted that, quote, he could get her anytime he wanted her. Needless to say, the bridegroom had the marriage annulled. And the reason I'm sharing that is when a man and a woman pledge their love to each other, they are set apart for each other. And any other relationship outside of that marriage is sinful. We can picture that, can't we? But we've been set apart by God. We have walked down the aisle saying, God, through Christ, is my one and only. I have been set apart by him, and I've been called by him. I am his, and he is mine, and it is for his enjoyment and his calling that I live. A Christian belongs completely to Jesus Christ. We are set apart for him and him alone. But we're also, and here's what's interesting about this, part of a worldwide fellowship as we see here, the church. All that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ as we see in verse 2. You see it defiled 
unfaithful believer not only sins against the Lord, but also sins against who else? All of the fellow Christians. So this is powerful stuff. Paul is saying it actually all in a positive framework, but if you understand it, you go, oh, I, I need to live set, I, I got to live a set-apart life, a holy life, a holy that is pleasing, a holy life that is pleasing to him. And he moves on and he says in verse 3, grace and peace to you, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, from God our Father. And this is a very common greeting. If you've read the other epistles, you've heard it again and again, and it's the same. And importantly enough, it's in the same order. It's always grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. It's never peace and grace. Why is that? Well, you have to understand what grace is. It's by grace that we are saved. Grace is a determination in the heart of God. It's a disposition in God's heart towards sinners. You can really use the word settled to understand God's grace, actually. It's a settled determination in the heart of God to do you good at many levels, though you do not deserve it. You deserve to be condemned at every level. And that's a working definition of grace. It's a determination, a settled determination in the heart of God to do you good. And it only is effective through Christ. Only by His blood to do you good. You deserve wrath. You deserve condemnation. You are a sinner. But God has settled in His heart to save you. Through Christ. So the other thing is that God wants to give you more and more grace. Grace to you. God wants to give you more. You're not done receiving grace. You need more grace. I need more grace. God, will you please give me more grace? And when we've received grace as Christians, it's by grace, we have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we've received the grace of full forgiveness of sins, adoption into the family of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. These are all by grace, and we need more grace. We're not done fighting sin, are we? You're, you're not done with this dangerous journey that you're on. You need more grace, and this epistle is giving it to you. And so with the Romans and with, with the Thessalonians, uh, all of these, it says grace to you and peace. Yes, the peace of God through Christ happens, but it's grace then peace. It's never peace then grace. And the reason is, is you have a sin problem. And if it's not dealt with, you will never have peace with God. That's why grace is always first. Grace then peace. Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Jesus died for who? The ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. 
But God demonstrates his own love towards us that in, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Go back up to Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, then peace. So we are called, first of all, to be set apart. And we are set apart by God. We have His grace and His peace. And then verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which has been given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him, in all word and all knowledge, even as the witness about Christ was confirmed in you. So Paul's going on about this grace, and he's saying salvation is this gracious gift from God. And when you were saved, you were also given, he's, he's alluding to the spiritual gifts that were given to these people, and explains it more in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. The word translated enriched here that you see in verse 5 gives us our English understanding of a very wealthy person. See, the Corinthians were incredibly rich in spiritual gifts, this church. It says so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. But they weren't using the gifts in the correct spiritual manner. But that being said, the fact that God has called us, he's set us apart and enriched us, ought to encourage us then to live holy lives. And we need to then know, so I'm set apart. I've been given this forgiveness of sin. I've got to then understand what sin is. Sin is anything that I do or say that breaks God's commands. Anything I do or say or even think that breaks God's commands and makes him sad. But we're enriched by this grace to live a holy life that does the opposite. 1 Peter 2.9 you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his light. He's called us. God has called us, even though we, we still do commit sins during this life, but he's called us to strive and to live a holy life. 1 Peter 1.15, once again, you are you're called to be holy in your conduct. And it says there's a word in there that really defines that for us. In all your conduct. In all of your conduct. You see, as obedient children, we don't conform ourselves to the passions of our former ignorance. We're commanded, everyone, to avoid the ways we practiced before we became a Christian and live according, not according to Scott Julian's ways, not according to your neighbor's ways, according to God's word in his way. We can only do this by living through the power of God's spirit, following the principles found in God's word. We are enriched by His Spirit to follow His ways. 
so we're, we're called to do that. We're called to live a holy life, set apart. You know what's interesting too is verse 7 says something very interesting to me. So that you are not lacking in any gift, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be all about expecting Jesus to return. Amen? What a terrible thing to have no hope. But we have hope in him. Eager, eagerly awaiting. Paul will have a great deal to say about this in 1 Corinthians 15. But we are to be looking forward, looking for our Savior. And when you are looking forward to meeting someone, what do you do? You get prepared. You get prepared. If, if you've got this, this family coming over to your place and, and you're excited about it and you're expecting, hey, they're going to be here in two weeks. I better get everything ready, right? And you're clear. And what is the first thing you do? You clean up the junk. What should, what, what does scripture say? We should be cleaning ourselves up. Living a holy life. Expecting Jesus to return. And that's why it says in 1 John 2, And now little children, abide in him, so that when he is manifested, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, it says this in 1 John 2, 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who does righteousness has been born of him. It goes on to say in 1 John chapter 3, then, see how great a love the Father has given to us that we would be called children of God, and we are. For this reason, the whole world, the world does not know us because it does not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been manifested as of yet what we will be. We know that when He is manifested, we will be like Him completely because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone, and here, here we go with that expectation, and everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. So do you see what Paul's doing in these simple words about being enriched and being set apart and being called by him? He's saying to this church in Corinth, hey guys, you are called to be different than the world. You're called to be holy. You're called to live a life that looks like Christ. And he moves on. As he says there in verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 and 9, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the work of God 
was confirmed in them by the Spirit, the gifts being in them. It was, all, it was confirmed to them also in the Word of God. This the idea, this word confirmed, I just want everyone to know that this word means to you today, legally, a contract has been made between God and ourselves. That word is a legal term. It's a guarantee of a completed transaction. A guarantee of a completed transaction. A settled transaction. Uh, I've used that word before somewhere. Settled. God's grace is a settled matter. We are His. And we have the witness of the Holy Spirit within us, the witness of His Word before us, guaranteeing that God keeps His contract. When you read Scripture and you go page by page through the different prophecies that have been completed in the Old Testament, what is the one thing that comes very clear? God keeps His Word. All of the prophecies that were necessary to be completed for Christ to be here. Some number that upwards to 365 prophecies. All of them fulfilled. Mathematically impossible for one person to fulfill them unless that person is God with us. He's going to keep his contract with us. That's why we depend on God's faithfulness there. We depend on it. Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that kind of fun to have an apostle like Paul walking up to you Walking up to you in Scripture today, because that's what the Spirit's doing right now. Walking up to you today saying, I am confident, everyone in this room who is a believer, I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work, who has settled, he's set it apart, he has finished it, it is complete. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, he's not done with you yet. Thank goodness. Because I know myself, and I know I need a lot more work. Look at verse 9 again. God has called you into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. Our Lord is faithful you know, our souls are under constant assault by this world, the flesh, the devil. We're in enemy territory, and it's not just because we live in Los Angeles. Every person on this planet is in enemy territory. And we are called on to make an escape, essentially, from a POW camp 20 miles behind enemy lines. 
but when we escape the world, picture this, when we escape the world, Satan sends out a search party, searching for us. And the scripture says he's wanting to kill you. He's wanting to destroy you. He's wanting to bring you back to prison. And that is the way Satan and his demons work in this world system. We're in enemy territory. Your soul is being assaulted every day, right? It's being assaulted every day to turn away from Christ, to turn to sin, to turn to wickedness, to turn to idolatry, to turn your back on your confession. How do you possibly think you're going to make it through the next number of decades if God leaves you here that long and still be blameless and trusting Jesus right to the end of your life? How do you expect that? What is your confidence? How do you think you're going to do it? Well, let me tell you, first of all, don't underestimate the enemies that are arrayed against you. Don't underestimate Satan and his demons. But what I am here to tell you, don't underestimate the far greater power of God to keep you. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation will make a way of escape. And we're going to talk about that later as well over the next few months. He is faithful, as Paul says there. He's going to keep you strong till the end in Christ, right to the end, and we trust in that. And this guarantee is certainly not an excuse for sin. So should we go on sinning, as Paul asks at one point in a different letter? By no means. Why? Well, he he already covered it. I'm called to be set apart and holy, living for Him, Spirit working through me. So in light of these great truths, how could the people in this Corinthian assembly get involved in the sins of the world and the flesh? Think about that for a moment because that's the rest of what we're going to be looking at. They were an elect people. They were an enriched people. They were an established people, faithful. They were saints. They were set apart for the glory of God. Yet their practice was not in in accordance to their position. So I want to appeal to everyone here today. I don't know your spiritual condition. I use this illustration all the time, and Spurgeon was the one who came up with it. And why perfect a new one when he got it good the first time? Yeah, I wish I could run up behind people and pull the cloak up and see if it says Christian on their back. (laughs) But I can't. But I can see if you're living his way. So if you are here today and you know you're outside of Christ looking in, and you know it if you are, I do believe God brought you here today to hear that God's grace wins 
through faith. Sins can be forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You must have faith in him. You must believe in him for that to happen. Trust in him. Don't leave here. And this is a weird word for me to say, but we need to say it every once in a while. Don't leave here unconverted. Come talk to us. Come talk to us if you have questions about Christianity. That's what we're here for. And there's a lot of brothers and sisters here that would be happy to talk to you. So first and foremost today, application points. One, don't go to hell. The opposite statement seems to be the most popular statement said by many people in our world. We say, don't go to hell. Don't be condemned. You don't know how much longer you have, but you do know that God is faithful when you give your life to Him. Secondly, embedded in this Enrich yourselves. Take a hold of that enrichment, that contract, that guarantee, and be thankful. Enrich yourself in thankfulness. If you are married, enrich it in your marriage. Thank God for your spouse. Read the book of Ephesians and live how Paul says for us to live godly lives with our spouses. Be thankful. Enrich yourself in your local church. Thank God for this church. Thank God for the brothers and sisters that are here. Don't take them for granted. Don't take anyone for granted. And thank God for the grace you see exhibited in other people. God's grace. And express that thankfulness to them. So, first, be set apart. Second, Enrich, third, establish. God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation comes the way of escape, as I said earlier. He is faithful. He is going to keep you strong to the end, and we have to trust that. We do. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all in whom in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Thank uh, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech, all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Lord, I thank you for this time to open your word together today, to 